We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jonathan Gabrick, and and look, here's the last thing of this. There's going to be flips. I mean, but here's the question. To your point, are the flips that maybe some of those schools are the ones that actually lose some kids to flips, to big NIL deals later? Are they then going to, like, will the flips kind of restore things back to the hierarchy of, okay, we let you have your fun, but come signing day, we're going to get this guy back in our class, right? That's going to be a really interesting part of these next six to eight months. Uh, when you look at the two different signing dates, Jonathan Gabrick says, "Going to thank you for the super chat, Jonathan. Going to my first Notre Dame game this year. This versus Cal this year. Any fun pregame festivity sites to see? Things I should do to get the full Notre Dame experience. Hundred percent. Um, a lot. Yes, <laughs> a lot a to lot. do. On yeah. top of stopping by to see us at the Irish Breakdown get together, uh, mm-hmm. I have yet to see this, but my wife said it is an absolute must do. It's the trumpets under the dome." I, I would imagine this year we'll probably see it back to being indoors. I, I hope, I think, mm-hmm. uh, but that's a must get, you know, I, I always tell people, if you're going to come to Notre Dame for the first time, come make it a weekend. Don't just mm-hmm. come for the game, make it a weekend. You know, there's going to be pep rallies. I don't know if they're going to do the pep rally every week this year, though. That's something I heard. You know, get a chance to see the Basilica. You got to go to the grotto, right? I'm yes. not Catholic. But I like to go to the grotto and pray. Uh, there's no rule that says you have to be Catholic to pray at the grotto. Uh, it's cool to light a candle. I think that's just kind of a cool experience. Then there's a lake to walk around. You get to go to the admin building, see the Golden Dome. Uh, you get to walk around, see the library. But there's a lot of cool things that you get to experience, too, uh, that are part of it. You know, Like I said, um, make sure you know when the player walk happens. That's a pretty cool thing, I think, for fans to experience. That, that's walk. that's number that's number one for me. Yeah. No matter how many times I'm going to be there, I'm always going to check out the player. That's because Ryan's like, like evaluating. He's like, okay, broad shoulders. Oh yeah, he checks. <laughs> but no, but seriously, I get, I get as a Notre work, Dame though. fan, it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, uh, and, and if you have a little one, you know, a lot of times, you know, like the little kids will stick their hands out. Those are the kids that the Notre Dame players will like to give fives to and stuff like that. They're really good about that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, so, um, I think those are just some of the things to see, you know, the, when the band comes in, that's another cool deal too. When the band walks into the stadium, uh, that's a really cool deal. So those, and, and look, other people in this chat, I guarantee you're going to throw some stuff in to, to check out, but 
the trumpets under the dome, I think is definitely one. The grotto is definitely one. The player walk are just the things off the top of my head that you, you really have to experience and really have to do. In my agree, opinion, agree. Grotto yeah. number one for me, especially if it's a night game. Cause then when you walk mm-hmm. out, it's all illuminated. Oh, that's really cool. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, player walk is a must. I mean, honestly, Jonathan, I would just, I wouldn't get into the stadium until super late. I would just yeah. walk around, just walk yeah. around and you're going to experience so many things. Go and in, go into the, even if you don't drink, like just go tailgate with some of the fans mm-hmm. at points. Like it's just such a cool experience. Yeah. It really is. It is. I've been to some really cool tailgates at Notre Dame and I don't, I don't drink and people are really cool, especially if you're wearing Notre Dame gear, really cool, really receptive. Uh, it, it's, it really is a lot of fun. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Casa Hodge with a super chat. Thank you very much for that. When Notre Dame offered Ben Minich, uh, uh, when Notre Dame offered Ben Minich means they feel Caleb Downs probably not coming to Notre Dame, even though they're not stopped recruiting him until his decision date. I would say they're going to recruit him well past his decision date, but it just, they also know if, if the message we've given now hasn't hit yet, what's the, why would all of a sudden things change? I would say I'd keep recruiting him just in case you have the kind of season that would result in him flipping. I'll ask you this, Ryan. So I think mm-hmm. I just answered that question, right? They will yeah. keep recruiting him. They haven't stopped recruiting him, but they also are realistic. They know that they're probably sure. not going to get him, right? Barring yeah. him having a change of heart between now and June, July 27th, they're not going to get him, right? Mm-hmm. When you look at the players that I think that they're going to continue recruiting, I don't think they're going to necessarily try to flip a lot of guys. I do think who I, I, I if I was Notre Dame, I would still recruit Jason Moore. I'd still recruit Caleb Downs for sure. Who are some other guys that you, assuming Notre Dame gets the guys that we think they're going to get, Mm -hmm. is there anybody else besides those two that you would say I would still continue to try to recruit if you're Notre Dame? That's an interesting question. I mean, personally – and I think that bridge has kind of just been burnt, but I would I would keep committed. I would keep going after Monroe Freeling, but I just don't okay. think that that's in the cards personally. Mm-hmm. Jason Moore is the big one for me. And I like that you mentioned him. Like I would just mm-hmm. keep at it in that one, you know. My other thought was, is there a wide receiver that's off the board that I would really like to get back into the conversation with? I'm not sure if there's one that makes total sense, especially to be they honest. Get, especially they get Ronan Hannafin. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, if they get Ronan, then you, it's kind of a moot point at that point. The right. only other one I think that's an interesting one is I would keep talking to Deuce Robinson. I sure. would because yeah. I, like this is how it's kind of gone. You were in an okay position early. You stopped talking to him and then you got in a little too late. Like that's what it kind of seems. But hey, let's keep 
moving now because even though you got too late, you. you can still put in that put in that work, right. man. And then if they see like if you keep selling like, hey, look what Michael Mayer's doing, right? Get thousand yards, all American, all that good stuff, then maybe you can get into the conversation. Probably not, but like I would yeah. still make the phone call. I hundred percent would. You know who else I would still recruit and they'd have to start because they've stopped? I would have mm-hmm. I would have kept recruiting AJ Harris. Especially sure. if you think you're going to be really good this year. Uh, I still sure. would have kept recruiting him. Sure. Alberto, our spent our friend from Spain. Uh, thank you for your super chat. Woohoo. Finally made it live after a few shows. I hope all is well with everyone. If any of you ever come to Southern Spain, you have a place to stay. I appreciate that. I, I've always wanted to, to go to Europe. I'm a, as everybody knows, I'm a big history major. We have a, we have a World War II question that we're going to be getting to here no later, way. Ryan, because it is Friday no. free-for-all, so I am looking forward to that. But I've always wanted to kind of tour Europe and uh, just see some of the different historical sites. I've always wanted to go, uh, you know, like France, you know, the beaches of Normandy in France. I've always wanted to see that. Uh, yeah, there's always some different cool things. So I think my first trip to Europe will probably be next year in August nice. for the Notre nice. Dame Navy game. Uh, so I'll be going to Ireland. That'll be in Ireland to start the season. So that'll be my first trip to Europe. Although that's not technically not continental Europe. It's one of the islands, but I'll still be a pretty cool deal. So, so we have a World War II question. Do we, we have do. A, we'll, do? We'll get is, to that. Is there, a, is there a food related question yet? Uh, we'll see. I, I love the I'm not, I'm not quite there yet. I'm not quite there yet. So we, we've got we're a lot of questions. Uh, we've got some some really, really great ones today, though, Larry, but you guys are doing a great job so far. Stone Adore had a question, Ryan, and this came up earlier, but I was I, I passed it over earlier because I wanted to get your opinion mm-hmm. on this. Mm-hmm. As a Also, a general college football question, do you think the college football committee ever picked the wrong four teams? So, Ryan, I have to first ask, yes. what would you consider the wrong four? Because there's two ways of looking at it. A lot of people will say, well, clearly they didn't get it wrong with Ohio State because Ohio State won it. And my whole thing is the wrong four is more about did you pick the wrong four no matter what happened after the fact? Mm Because I think then you can get into, well, Oklahoma got beat by 40-something by LSU. They clearly shouldn't have been in it. Well, no, they they still should have been in it. You know, they just clearly weren't good enough. So – when, when I think about it, obviously the first one, the, the most controversial to me still remains what they did to TCU at the end of the 2014 season. They jumped him in the top. Boykin a quarterback? I uh, believe so. But they jumped him yeah. into the top four. four. They go yeah. out and beat Iowa State 55-3 to three, and not only dropped behind Ohio State, but dropped behind Baylor. The justification was, well, you know, Baylor won head-to-head. Well, the dumb part about that is – Baylor beat them head to head weeks before and they still had TCU ahead. And then Baylor goes out and wins a game that was not necessarily against a, a team that was that great that final weekend. And they jumped them. I thought that was wrong. Now, no one argues about that as much because of the fact that Ohio state went and won it all. But to me, it still should have mattered. You know, if you didn't belong to be it's because like then you could say, well, what about the the 16 USC team? They could have jumped into the playoff and played with anybody, but mm-hmm. that they still didn't belong there. You know, no matter how they were playing in November, they still didn't belong there. I think that for me is 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 probably the most uh, egregious. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is for me. I'll say this. My counter to that, however, is. I still – I wish Ohio State would have played some better teams early in 15 because even though Michigan State beat them head-to-head 
and I get it, and I don't think they were wrong. I still don't think they got the best four teams. But it's it's you know the resume for Michigan State that year was was much better. Uh, but Ohio State was the better team, and I know Michigan State beat them head to head. That was such a weird game. That Ohio State team in fifteen was that was the biggest. Like you talk about coaches that just don't take advantage of their talent. The fact that Urban Meyer only won one national championship is a knock on his resume, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because there were several years at Ohio State where I was like, there's not two teams in college football with a better roster than what Ohio State has right now. And that 15 team had as good of a roster as we've seen in college football in the playoff era, in my opinion. I mean, it's top two or three, not, not even not that year, Ryan. I'm talking about mm-hmm. overall. I mean, think about the dudes they had on that football team in 2015. It's absurd to think of the talent they had in 2015. But they just, you know, they didn't they didn't make it. So what what are some other ones, Ryan, for you that you look at and say, Yeah, I think they got that wrong. I think they got it wrong. This these teams should have been in that year. Do you have any others? Not really. I mean, I'm looking through the the years. I mean, my, the 2014 Florida State team. How was that? Th- how was that team 13 and 0 and only the third seed? Because they beat just, nobody. Beat nobody that their year. schedule was really soft. They played a lot of ugly games. You know, was the, it, was that the year? Was that the year after they won with Jameis? Yeah. Was that that? Okay, yeah. and they got they got destroyed yeah. against Oregon. Yep. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah, remember they, that team their now. resume was garbage. It really yep. was. Um, you know, Michigan State was not one of the four best teams in the country that year, but man, their resume was really impressive. It really mm-hmm. was. I just, I just kind of felt like there just were there were other teams, in my opinion, that had better. That were just better, you know. But the problem mm-hmm. is when you, again you're going to go to resume. Look, I'll take the 2015 Stanford team was a much better team than Michigan state. But the reality is, is that Stanford team had two losses, including a home law, a road loss to begin the season at Northwestern, Yeah, you know? So if you're going to go off of, of not the best team, but the teams with the best resumes, I honestly don't have a lot of, I don't have a lot of hangups. And and this is the, this is part of the reason I'm, I'm sort of against this whole, expanded a playoff thing because i'm like name me a year that there was teams that 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 should have been in beyond the top two to three you know you say well michigan state shouldn't have got in okay cool who should have because there's a lot of flawed teams like 2016 a lot of people said well you know washington wasn't a very good team somebody else should have made it over washington who a a two-loss ohio state team well, they were in right washington was 12 and one weren't they they were a good yeah but they weren't that good I mean, they, uh-huh. the Pac-12 was down. I mean, that's the perception. But, you know, they, they weren't a very good team. I thought they gave Alabama one of the more competitive playoff games that Alabama's had that they didn't lose. Jake Browning uh, was winning. Jake Browning touchdown pass yeah. to start that game. You know, but like Penn State. Oh, Penn State won the Big Ten. Yeah, they had two losses, including a loss to Pitt, and they got beat by Michigan 49-10. to 10. I don't care if you won the Big Ten. You weren't one of the four best teams. You know, yes, you beat Ohio State head-to-head, but it's about the overall resume. It's not just about conference champions. ESPN loves to focus on conference champions should be in. That's only because ESPN carries all the conference championship games. That's the only reason that that matters to them. It should not be, in my opinion, a driving force. But that's the whole thing. Is like, you know, you're going to give it to USC. USC beat Washington late in the year convincingly at Washington. But USC also had three losses in September, including a 50-plus point lost Alabama. 
So how do you, how, what's the, what's the criteria? And I think that's what makes this thing challenging. You, you could argue Oklahoma in 2017, 2016 was a really good team by the end of the year, but they lost to Ohio state at, by 21 at home and they got beat by 10 by Houston. So I don't care how they were playing in the final month of the season. They didn't have a resume that belonged. So there's just never been a year that I I thought that there was there was legitimate teams. 2017, a lot of people will argue there was there was other teams should have got in. Uh, people have said that Alabama didn't belong in. Um, Ohio, you know, Ohio State did. Ohio State had two losses. Remember, Kirk Herbst, I think, was one of the ones. Uh, advocating for the 2017 Ohio State team to get in the college football playoff. I, I wonder why he did that. Exactly. And, but <laughs> I'm like, you had, they had two losses, including yep. a 30 plus point loss at Iowa, right? They also lost by 15 at home to, to, to Oklahoma. You know, like, no, they didn't belong. You know, was, was that a great Alabama team? No, but they still had a better resume than Ohio State, you know, and then there was sure. others UCF should have got in based on what? Like, okay, it's a fun oh. story. But that, what was UCF's um, big best win that year? You know, it was Georgia Tech. Uh, I think that they said that game got canceled, right? I'm looking at it now because it's Hurricanes. That three-year span was so annoying with the group of five oh, teams. Remember, God. the year before it was Western Michigan. Then it was yeah. UCF back-to-back years undefeated. Western Michigan guys. couldn't beat Wisconsin, a decent Wisconsin team in the Cotton Bowl. You know, that UCF mm-hmm. team was a good football team. You know, they beat sure. Auburn. Auburn was had four losses that year, and UCF beat them by a touchdown. You know, so I just I don't know if I'd say that they did get it wrong. You know, oh, 2018 Ohio State could beat anybody except Purdue in the middle of October at West Lafayette. Right. I mean, that's what I love about the playoff. And what I love about the smaller playoff is one bad day, one bad night in West Lafayette in October can knock out your chance to play for a championship. That's why college football regular season to me is still the best. So, Ryan, I honestly don't know if I could say that they've gotten it wrong. I, mm-hmm. I really don't know other than the first year. And, and that year is controversial to say that because, you know, the team that they quote unquote got wrong won the title. <laughs> so, okay. you know, it's, it's a little interesting. Brian, can I bring up one comment real quick? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. This type of stuff like drives me crazy a little bit. Isaac Cody said UCF <sighs> beat Auburn who beat both Georgia and Georgia, Alabama and Georgia that year in the regular season. I, Cody, uh, Isaac, this is no disrespect, but I hate those arguments so yeah. much, man. It's like, okay, but UCF, you're telling me that Alabama would have beat uh, UCF would have beat Alabama that year? Is that what you're trying to sell to me? Mm-hmm. Just because they beat a team that right. beat a team that beat a team? I mean, like, we, I we could do strings. some really weird mental gymnastics to get to that. I mean, there's been years sure. where, you know, like uh, this team beat this team who beat lost to that team who lost to four and eight such and such. So four and eight such and such could beat, you know, this other team. Uh, you know, I mean – you know, you know the best year for that. The best mm-hmm. year for that is 2016. 2016 is the absolute best year for that because you look at uh, Clemson won the title, right? They mm-hmm. lost to Pitt. Mm-hmm. Pitt lost to Northwestern. So mm-hmm. Northwestern lost to Illinois State. So could Illinois State have won a national championship that year? No, that's not how it works, right? Uh, you know, Northwestern lost to Western Michigan and and and, and uh, Illinois State, but they beat Pitt, and Pitt beat Clemson at Clemson. Clemson beat Bama. You know what I mean? Like it just, yeah. it's not how it works. But uh, if they if yeah. they gave the if they gave the Redbirds a chance, I think they could have pulled it <laughs> off that year. <laughs> 
going to say no. I'm going to say no. I think to Isaac's point, though, I think that's legitimate if those things are done in the regular season. I will say that. Like okay. if if UCF would have beat Auburn in the regular season, we'd have a different conversation because bowl games are a unique animal. There, there's a month afterwards for preparation. You know, not not everybody takes a bowl game, views a bowl game the same way. This isn't like week three where you went and beat Auburn at Auburn, right? So, like, to me, anytime you're going to use what happened in a bowl game to justify what you should have gotten, I, I just – I have a harder time with that in this scenario With when you talk about the group of fives. It's kind of like Boise State, right, when they beat Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl. Well, look what they did, this, this, and this. It's like, yeah, but could they have done that for 12 games against that level of competition? No, they couldn't have. And that's the thing is UCF wouldn't have been in position to beat Auburn if they had to play an SEC schedule that year. They would have had a couple losses. And that's my point. Uh, it's it's just – I just can't take a – like uh, you like Cincinnati last year. Do I think Cincinnati was one of the four best teams in college football? No. Do I think they belong to the college football playoff? Yes, because they went on the road and beat Notre Dame convincingly. If UCF would have had a win like that in, 2000 and, in 2017 – then we could have had a different conversation, right? But you didn't. And that's why I just, you know, I have a hard time uh, jumping on that that UCF bandwagon because the other thing too is UCF put their schedule together and they can say all they want about, well, no one would play us, blah, 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 blah. You, you're the ones that chose to play Georgia Tech and Maryland. You're, you know, that was your choice. The teams would have played you. You know, Boise played Georgia. They played Virginia Tech. They had teams play them. So I... uh you know, it is what it is. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it was, it was really annoying to listen to that. The media hyped that up, you know, during that whole, I, I was, I was thing. in Orlando during their national title victory that they proclaimed. It was pretty funny. Yeah. Yep. That yeah, that would have been, that would have been very fun to watch. <laughs> All right. Let's get to some more. Uh, here's a good Hawk strongest. If hey guys, if Notre Dame is undefeated, will Tyler Buckner be in the Heisman race? If he's, if he's putting up great numbers, sure. Well, he's putting here's up great the numbers. And, yeah. Here's my question, Ryan. Yeah. That's a given. My question sure. is is actually more more specific to this particular team. Mm-hmm. Do you think he has to? Because again, yes. If he's if they're undefeated and he's putting up great numbers, yes. If sure. they're undefeated and he's putting up Everett Golson 2012 numbers, no. Right. Mm-hmm. My question is more specific to do you think he has to put up those kind of numbers for Notre Dame to be undefeated going into the postseason? That's a that's a I think that's a more specific. I think I kind of think he does have to put up numbers that are at least going to get you in the conversation. I don't think you right. can beat Ohio State and and Clemson and USC and BYU and North Carolina on the road and BC if Tyler Buckner's playing like Everett Golson did you know, in 2012, meaning Everett played well, but Everett, like Brian Kelly said, Everett was kind of, he was kind of riding on the bus, not driving the bus. I think this team with the schedule they play needs Everett Golson or needs Tyler Buckner to be, you know, the the passing version of, of Everett from 2012 and the running version of Brandon Wimbush from 2017. I just think that's what they need because of some of the other parts of the team and the way that the schedule is. And I could be wrong, but I just, I think they need him to be to where at least he, cause he doesn't have to put up Bryce young numbers. He's at Notre Dame. If, if he's like, yes, sir, if he, if he does what I said, you know, you said he throws for about 3000 yards and he rushes for about five or 600 yards and their name's undefeated. 
there's a good chance he's going to be in the top five. Sure. Don't you think? I mean, yeah. freaking Ian Book finished ninth in Heisman voting, and he threw 15 touchdown passes. You know, I mean, so when you're the, the quarterback of Notre Dame, you're going to get that hype. You're going to get that. True. That is that's true. Yeah, some shade, but it's also it's also accurate. Trip Bergen, do you guys see Notre Dame offering any other 23 guys? And who would be their main targets of trying to flip kids from other schools? I guess we kind of already addressed that second part earlier, Ryan. Uh, yeah. Jason Moore, Caleb Downs, you, mm-hmm. those, those guys. But yep. do you see them offering any other 23 guys? Not until the season. I, I think that we could see a board expansion at some point, depending on breakout players during the season, guys that got onto your radar, you know, like those types of players. So like during the evaluation period during the Mm -hmm. season, I think is like when you might see a couple more offers, but I think you're most likely done for the summer, but I think the season could be a spot for that potentially. Yeah. And, and would you, obviously if they have misses with a couple, you know, Ronan Hanif and a couple guys, I think you're going to have to expand your board a little bit. Sure. Uh, if you have some of those misses, but as of right now, if they get the guys they get, I'm with, I'm with Ryan on that one. Mm-hmm. Here's an interesting one, Ryan. I'm very curious to hear your answer on this. I actually, I actually have uh, some pretty strong opinions on this. Uh, Tyler Evans says besides Marcus Freeman, who is the biggest coaching hire and biggest head scratching hire this off season? Man, there's a lot of weird ones. Yeah. Um, I was looking at this one before there was, all right. So, I'll preface this one by saying I think he's a really good defensive coach, but like I'm, I'm not so sure about Dan Landing in Oregon. I, I wouldn't say it's yeah. a head scratcher per se because there were definitely other ones where I was just kind of like, "Huh." But mm-hmm. I, I think I'll start with the the one that I like the most is I really do like Mario Cristobal mm-hmm. in Miami. That's mine. I, yep. Yeah, I think I think that one's just such an easy fit. I think he's going to recruit at a high level. Is he a great in game coach? No, but I, I think that you can – I mean, I think the U is pretty easy to sell, right? Like mm-hmm. you can sell that program to getting some top talent back into that building. So I like that one. Long term, I like Billy Napier in Florida. I think it's going to be something that's going to have to be built up mm-hmm. from the ground floor. But it's something where I I, I do like it. And uh, the biggest head scratcher, I'm not going to shoot – I'm not going to throw shade at Brian Kelly. I'm not going to do it. Um, oh, it's on there. I mean, it's on it's there. It's on there for you? Oh, I mean – uh, so I'm going to disagree with something you said. Okay. I don't think Miami's an easy sell. Really? It's not a hard sell, but it's mm-hmm. not an easy sell. There's Miami doesn't have great facilities. Their, their game feels like 30 to 45 minutes away. There's some things that work against them. So it's not an easy sell, but it's, it's not a hard sell, but it's not easy either. I think you need, I think it's a lot like Notre Dame. You need mm-hmm. the right guy. I do yeah. think it's a unique place because also you don't get a lot of a, a support from an administration. There was a, there's a question we'll get to here uh, that kind of is along with that, that I, that I'm, I'm going to try to find as I'm explaining this, because somebody asked a question that was very similar to this. Here we go from Christopher Crosby. He said, why doesn't the U put more money into their program? They're sitting on a potential gold mine with that brand. What went wrong since they were a powerhouse in college football? Well, obviously a lot of the sanctions hurt them. But they had a school that didn't – they went through a period like Notre Dame went through with Lou Holtz where they, they just didn't want to be a great football program because they wanted to be an academic school. They like to call it – was it like the, the Harvard of the South they'd always call themselves or something like that. And, and they de-emphasized football, and that made it harder to sell because it actually is a really good school. 
And so um, I think I think that makes it a little bit harder. Now, if the school was on board, Ryan, with football being good, then then, then the conversation would be different, and I would agree with you. But I think that is that is kind of where I'm coming from on that. Uh, is but I still the but I do agree with your premise. Mm-hmm. That even adds more to why I think Mario Cristobal was a great hire. Because I mean, he played there. He's from there. I, I think he's a much better coach than Manny Diaz. I think Manny Diaz is an incredibly overrated defensive coordinator, much less head football coach. Sure. And and he was just he was in over his head. I think Mario Cristobal, the the fact that a guy from from Miami who played at Miami, coached at Florida International and Alabama, could go to Oregon and have the recruiting success he had there, says a lot mm-hmm. about what he's going to do at Miami. And he's and we're already seeing it. And and he's because he's an alum. He's also able to tap into some of the booster money uh, that that is there, and so mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of it too. So I think the Dan, Lan- I think the Mario Cristobal hire was phenomenal. I get why Oregon hired Dan Lanning, but it was a huge risk. It was yeah, the most yeah. boomer bust decision uh, decision of the offseason. I don't, I didn't love the. Uh, here's the thing: the Florida thing is really weird for me. Mm-hmm. I understand why they hired Billy Napier. I get it. I don't have a problem with it. I have a problem with the way in which they forced Dan Mullen out. And and like you're in the SEC title game like the previous two years. You have one bad year, and, and, you, and you, the, there has to be more to it than what we've been told. There's definitely there more. There has to be more to it than what we're told because that was such definitely a weird more. situation. But of the guys that were out there, I, I like the I, I liked the land, I liked the Napier hire. Mm-hmm. I just didn't necessarily love the way it got there. If that makes That's sense. That's fair. I think the Can Brian, I, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to throw out one other weird one. I was just looking through some Joe Moorhead taking over the Akron yeah. head coaching position. I was he just, just wanted like, to be a head coach again. That's the thing. Yeah, and that was just when a he had jump on. the health issues that he had during the season, were going to make it impossible for a power five team to take a chance on him. And he wanted to be a head coach again. And, you know, I think, I think, and he's a East coast guy, you know, so I think that's why he did it. But yeah, it's like, dude, you you just could have rode out being an OC for a couple more years. You might have got a little bit something better in Akron. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, look, I know it's impossible for people to think I'm unbiased on the subject, and I understand. But the LSU Brian Kelly hire didn't make a lot of sense to me. It was a very strange hire, and honestly, it was a panic hire in my opinion because LSU thought they were going to get Napier, and he barely gave him the time of day. They they thought they were going to get Lincoln Riley, and he, you know did what he did and went to, to USC at that point in time. I was like, who are you going to get? Like you're, you're stranded there. Like who are you going to get? And I think they panicked. And then there's the connection, the agent for the ADs, the same agent, I believe for the head, you know, for Brian Kelly and all this other kind of stuff. Their name's 11 and one. They're in a playoff contention. Like Notre Dame was a hot team. They beat LSU twice. I think that they panicked and were like, well, yeah, this is a big name coach. And they didn't take into account that he's a horrible fit there. Number one. And the other part, like Cincinnati's the most Southern place he's ever coached. Notre Dame's the second most Southern place he's ever coached. And, and you look at it and you say, boy, that's a bad fit. And then you look at where he is in his career, where he's like bragging about how hard he works on a recruiting trail by FaceTiming three prospects. Like that's a lunch hour for Marcus Freeman. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it just, it was a horrible fit. And I just don't think Brian Kelly's at that stage in his career where he's going to be prepared to handle all the the stuff that goes along with being the head football coach in Notre Dame. If he thought it was hard to handle all that stuff at Notre Dame with the button up kids he has and the type of stuff he goes to at Notre Dame, where at Notre Dame, he doesn't have to do anything with academics. Like Notre Dame is one of the easiest schools 
for head for football coaches to deal with academics because Notre Dame has a whole institute, like a whole like operation that is that that they just they tell the football coaches what's going on at LSU at Ohio State. The football coaches have to handle that stuff, right? And so he's in for a very rude awakening, in my opinion. And you can't be gone for five months out of the year, which he was at Notre Dame uh, at LSU, or you're going to come back and it's going to be like, what the heck is like stuff's on fire? Like the things are burning down. It's like, you know, hyperbolically, but it's uh it's gonna be a it's gonna be a disaster in my opinion it really well is. there there was a lot of bad stuff happening at LSU before Brian Kelly even got right. there so that's what I'm that's, saying yeah no <laughs> you're you're saying. not wrong you're not wrong that's what I'm saying it is it is gonna not it's gonna be ugly it's gonna be ugly good question Brandon Plensner asks do you guys honestly believe there's a legit quarterback battle and do you feel Marcus Freeman should name Buckner the starter before fall camp why or why not. I I I think that how Marcus Freeman has gone about everything is everything's about competition, right? So, I mean, Tyler Buckner needs to earn it. There's no doubt in my mind mm-hmm. about that. Do I think ultimately it's going to be a tough decision? No, I don't. I think that Tyler Buckner has separated himself in the spring, and I think he'll continue to separate himself. But I, I don't, Brandon. I don't. I don't think that. I don't think Marcus Freeman in his mind has said, you know, like, oh, I'm just going to give someone something, right? If, right? if Tyler Buckner at a certain point has earned that position, then I think that he'll pull the trigger at that point. But I don't think that he's going to skate away from competition just because it's the quarterback position. So I, I do think that they are going to try to institute that competition, quote unquote. But I don't think ultimately it's going to be much of a competition. Mm-hmm. We had a, a follow-up question, Ryan. Uh, first of all, uh, do I think there's a legit quarterback battle? Yes, from the standpoint of Tyler Buckner still has work to do to earn the starting job. He has sure. far outplayed Tyler Buck or Drew Pine so far, but that's only 15 of what will be over 40 total practices that will be put into determining that. Uh, I hope that he's named it quickly. I don't think Tyler Buckner should have been named the starter yet because I don't think he's done enough, especially when he missed the spring game with an injury. Now, I don't think he did anything wrong to miss that, but the fact is he missed it. That's a data point. Uh, I don't think he's done anything to, to 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 lock it down where he should be named the starter. To your point as well, that flies in the face of everything Marcus Freeman's been about so far, which is competition, competition, competition. You're not going to give Drew Pine a single practice before you name the starter, right? I just don't know. Does Tyler Buckner go in as the number one? Yeah. Should Does Drew have to catch him? Does Steve Angeli have to catch him? Yes. But they deserve to have that competition, just like you're going to have it every other. Like he's not going to walk in and declare, "Okay, I'm naming Joe Walt my starting left tackle." We all just kind of know, and now Joe's got to go earn it and keep it, right? Uh, you know, I, I, I just, I, I don't think that I, I understand why it's done. I just don't think we need to be propping quarterback battles on this pedestal like we've always done. Where, you know, when is he going to name Josh Lug the starting right guard? When is he going to name Chris Tyree the number one running back? You know, no one's asking that question, right? We'll figure it out when it's determined. I think the same thing a quarterback. I think Tyler's got a lot to prove. We all think he's going to win it. But I think he now, you st- he, you st- it, here's the deal too, Ryan. Even if you know he is hands down your best quarterback, I still want to see how he handles this battle going into fall. I, there's a lot of evaluation mentally and from a leadership standpoint. Does Tyler just keep going out and making plays, or do you start to see a, a more vocal Tyler Buckner in fall camp? Does a more vocal Tyler Buckner, is he as effective? Does it hurt his game? 
there's still a lot we need to learn about Tyler Buckner uh, that even if you think he's going to be the guy, I'm not removing that roadblock from in front of him yet because I want to see him climb it still. Sure. Sure. And that's that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, that's where I'm at on that. So it, it is a battle, but it's not like it. It's not like in past where it's like you know Deshaun and Malik, where it's like two really good guys that are really close. I mean, yeah. Drew Tyler's been the better quarterback, and Drew had a bad spring. Not just not just a bad spring game. He had a bad spring, and that factored mm-hmm. into it as well. So yes, there should be a there should be a battle, in my opinion. There there was a follow up to the conversation we were having. Uh, Jay Henry said Tony Elliott at Virginia was odd to me as well. I agree. I agree. Can you explain that? Because I've heard a lot of people. So what I would say is I don't think it, if like this would have happened a couple years ago, I don't think it yeah. would have had the same weird reaction that people have. I think the timing of it was bad because right. they were coming off such a disappointing season. But if like after the 18 or 19 season when Clemson was considered really good and he was the OC then, I think people would be lauding it, but because they just weren't good this year, I think there's a lot of shake, shake kind of shaking your head about like, well, that's kind of a, a strange hire. Why do you well, think that was an odd hire? I mean, you just answered it honestly. It's the fa- it's the timing of everything, right? Like, I, I think a lot. Of, I think their perception, and I think it is a little bit of reality, is the fact that I don't think Tony Elliott did a very good job as the offensive coordinator this past year. I think that he has a lot of he had a lot of talent on his offense, but he was trying to, to put square pegs and round holes all season, you know, like trying to make DG Uyunglele Trevor Lawrence and expecting him to do Trevor Lawrence things. So I think, again, to your point, if he was riding the momentum and then he got a job like Virginia, I'd be like, cool, that's fine. Like, I get it. But, I mean, you just had a guy that I think really struggled as a coach, and then all of a sudden he is, you know, just takes over as an ACC school all of a sudden, you know? So I think it is the timing of everything. Like there was no momentum for him to ride into the University of Virginia head coaching job, and it still happens. Right. I get it. I get it. I just think the fit is actually okay there. If he's going to be a head coach, I think Virginia is a place where I think he could actually have a little bit of success. I just but, hope Brendan yeah. Armstrong's not running QB power next year. That's no, my I'm God, that'd be that. And here's the thing: you know my stance on Tony Elliott. I'm not a huge Tony Elliott fan. I actually think he's going to be a better head coach than he was a coordinator. I, I do. I, I think Could he happen. was. I think he was better. I think he was better at the the. Here's why I think him and Jeff Scott were pretty good. Mm-hmm. I don't think Jeff. I think Jeff Scott was a little bit better of the X's and O's guy, game plan mm-hmm. guy. I think Tony Elliott was better from a structure organization type of thing. And when Jeff Scott left, the X's and O's weren't as good. But I do think Tony Elliott's a good coach in the other areas, which is why I think he he's gonna be he could actually be a better head coach than he was a coordinator if he can make good hires. That's ultimately the key to any head coach. If you can't make good hires, you're just not gonna be a good football coach. And I honestly haven't studied his staff enough at UVA to be able to say whether he did or didn't do that at Virginia. But to me, that is, that is the interesting aspect of it for me is, is some guys are just that way, Ryan, you know, some guys are better head coaches than they are coordinators. Like I'm very curious to see one of the, the ones, one of the most, well, yeah, that makes sense hires. I don't, I can't say that it's going to be good or not because I just have no clue how good of a coach he's going to be. But the Brent Venables one is, is, is an interesting one for me because it's kind of like on paper it makes sense. Former Oklahoma guy, you know, you're taking it in a different, completely different direction than what you were for Lincoln Riley, which I think is smart. When you've had a guy do that, I don't think you want to go look the next Lincoln Riley. I think you want to find the polar opposite of Lincoln Riley. 
So in a lot of those ways, I have no issue with what Oklahoma did. I just have no clue if it's going to work or not because he's such an uncertain. He's he's such an, I mean, is he going to be the same guy as a head coach that he was as a defensive coordinator? If he is, that's not going to work. You know, but it's just, I I don't know, but I I understand why they did it. And it made a lot of sense to me. I I think that the fit did make sense from a lot of the reasons that you said, right? Like Oklahoma guy trying something different. Cool. I get that. He just doesn't, you know, there's like a, there's like an aura around guys though, where I'm just like, Mm -hmm. does he seem like a head coach? Like, and and I I don't know. Venables just doesn't strike me as a head coach. Agree. That's what I'm saying. Like if he acts the same way that he does the coordinator, it's just not going to work. But like his but, comments the other day were a yeah. little great start. Odd. <laughs> yes. Odd. Odd's a word. Odd yeah. is a word for that. Yeah. yeah. It was very strange. Very, very strange. So many great questions today, guys. You guys are absolutely killing it with these questions. Super chat from Connor Patton. Uh, thank you, Connor, very much. Will the new salary give BK a sugar high before he settles back into his usual self? Hey, look. Was there anything more fitting then on the same day that LSU releases the, – the same day that the Michael Mayer thing comes out, right? And I, it's like I don't even think this was planned. This is just how, you know, Brian Kelly's absolutely clueless. The thing, the stuff that Michael Mayer comes out about how he was never around, that same day LSU releases a workout tape that has nothing to do with Notre Dame. They released the workout video of them in the stadium running and all that other kind of stuff. What also gets put on social media that day? A picture of Brian Kelly and his daughter at the golf course, and she spans over to him, and he's – He's doing the silly dance of the golf course. Could you like you're tr- like I can't even troll you as hard as you're trolling yourself right now. Oh, like man. you know what I mean. Like it just is like if that didn't sum up that Brian Kelly is has settled in quite nicely to his usual self. Uh, you know it's like because like he upped his recruiting game last year. We've talked we we talked about this last year uh when after Marcus Room was hired within about a month Brian Kelly was upping his recruiting game cuz he had to cuz he was getting embarrassed by Marcus Freeman mm-hmm. and so he did a better job but you know when it, but he still was that same guy in the other areas and that's how he's going to be at LSU he's still the same guy that instead of putting in the work i mean dude we're a couple weeks away from season starting and he's been playing golf all off season it's mm-hmm. just you know that's just who he is i mean that's Brian, just that's who he is he he's a grinder, man. He took it just yeah. a little too too uh too literal. Yeah, seriously. You aren't kidding. You are not kidding. So yeah, I just I think he's already settled into his normal self, to be completely I, honest with you. Don't disagree. Don't disagree. Oh my goodness. That at guy. least he called at least he at least he FaceTime three kids, though. So that's good. Yeah, I know, right? Good that that guy, I swear. Kevin Carter, the super chat. Thank you, Kevin, very much. Good afternoon, IB family. I know we've gotten uh, to hear from coaches Freeman, Reese, and Golden, but I was curious if we might get a chance to hear a little from the other coaches, maybe even Chad Bowden and his job. Um, I mean, I would love to have those guys on the show if they're ever made available. I would love to hear from them, but um, I don't know. I mean, Chad's done some interviews, uh, but yeah, I mean, we'll hear from those guys. Mike, Mike Mickens is, I mean, he talked during the spring and we're at Coach McCullough and Coach Washington. So, you know, we'll, we'll have some of that stuff. And we'll, we'll have a more full-time beat writer this year, which I'm excited about. So we'll have a lot more stuff from those guys. But, yeah, hey, but, Kevin, thank you very much for the Super Chat, buddy. I really, really appreciate it. I have a couple more questions down here. Well, we have a lot more questions, but just we'll get to, <laughs> just more. Uh, Sean Michael with a Super Chat. Thank you, Sean. Hey, Brian, Ryan, as always, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, here's the question was, 
Did you guys happen to catch Michael Mayer's interview? Pretty insightful. Also, these uh, ranking people need to pack it up because there is no consistency. Let me find the sec. I thought I had started the second part of his question. Let's give me a second. Here we go. Let me see, Sean, if I can find the second. Ah, it just seems like recruiting is trending towards what type of media presence do you have and less emphasis on the field results. So back to his question. Um pretty insightful these ranking people need to pack it up because there's no so he's basically just saying like the recruiting rankings are just getting worse and worse and I, I mean it's hard to I, it's I, hard to disagree with that ryan i i think there's also becoming too many platforms you know yeah. like now you have espn rivals on three two four seven and it's just like i think the volatility of the rankings is the weird one for me right like again you see like michael bell ranked 55 by one and a three star by the other which just kind of makes it like really mm-hmm. bizarre right so i yeah. think it's just at some point, there's just too many voices, you know, right. and it, it makes things a little bit muddled, in my opinion. So, you know, I agree, but somewhat disagree with you on that, Ryan. We've done that a few times mm-hmm. there. I enjoy that. It's good to, to, to have disagreements. I I don't mind more voices. I mind when it's I think I think and I honestly I don't think you would either. If it was if we honestly thought the voices were giving honest analysis. That's fair. Because I think you say, you know what, this site does a much better job with linemen. Whoever's doing linemen, they get that part right. This site does a better job with quarterbacks because of who they have evaluating. This site does better here. And there'd be value to more voices, right? Mm -hmm. The Mm -hmm. problem with the voices now and where I agree with you uh, in this regard is it's just, it's a lot of people trying to find um, their alley, not from a evaluation standpoint, but from a this cool tool, the NIL tool, you know, this thing that, that has nothing to do with ranking. It's, it's everybody's trying to find what can we do to get more clicks as opposed to we're going to build because we are doing this the best way. We Nobody's going to give better analysis than us. You know, we're going to put together a staff of people that know how to evaluate football, not a people that know how to dig up stories and do all that kind of stuff because, you know, find both. And I think right. that's the problem is that it used to be, when the rankings came out, they tried to find as many people as possible that actually had coached or played or knew mm-hmm. football. Now it's just a bunch of reporters that are now doing it. And they have, right. you know, that doesn't mean that there aren't some reporters, but like the guys that are doing it are not guys that should be the primary determiners of rankings. Cause everyone can look at a certain guys and be like, well, that guy's really good. You don't need to have any talent to do that, mm-hmm. but you're seeing some of these insane rankings because you have too many people that just honestly, should not be involved in ranking prospects. Look, just go call kids, get scoop, get stories, and and let the grown folks handle this recruiting evaluation stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the problem is because it's not about evaluation anymore. And, and it's no different than when you're in the NFL draft. There's a lot of different opinions on kids, right, yeah. coming in the draft. But two people could have the same opinion. And one guy, you're like, that's just clickbait nonsense. And the other guy's like, okay, I respect that guy. I don't agree with him. But I respect them. And so maybe I might give a second look to this kid because this guy that I know and I respect, you know, is uh, you and I have talked about some guys who you don't think are good evaluators, but you still respect them because you think they're putting in the work. Sure. And I think that's where I come from is you're just not seeing enough of that anymore. And that's what has made these recruiting rankings, in my opinion, become less and less respectful is because there's it's all agenda driven now. It's not about Mm -hmm. I want to get it right. And that's my thing. I want to get it right. And that's and then they should be the key randy hernandez with a super chat good work guys i love ib nation randy we appreciate that very very much we're glad to have you on board and we appreciate your support 
Kyle Barry with he's got a couple super chats here. Uh, what can Notre Dame change to avoid Clemson fans in 22, Ohio State in 23, and AM in 25 taking over the stadium? I was at Georgia in 17 and Cincinnati in 20. Awful. Um don't sell your tickets to start. Yeah. Um that's put a, a better one. product on the field. Put a better product on the field, make yeah. game days more enjoyable for fans. Yeah. Like that's yeah. yeah. I, I I think I think the other part of it too is is you know, change the way you you know you right now to get a season ticket, you've got to you gotta pay a lot of money. Not just the sure cost do. of the ticket, but then there's the extra charge and all this other stuff that they put on it. Well, people that can't go to every game are going to, you know, hey, if I can, if I can only go to four home games a year and there's six home games, I may have to sacrifice going to the Clemson game because I need to somehow recoup all the money I spent on that, and I could recoup it on one game or a lot of it on one game, mm-hmm. and that is because you know people want to pay a thousand dollars for Clemson or Cincinnati or you know or, or like Georgia tickets are going for like a, a thousand when in, in 2017 if you remember, and that was with Notre Dame coming off a four and eight year. It's crazy. You know, so, I mean, that's the other thing, too, is it's part of it's just Notre Dame's a, a – a, they are a uh, casualty of their own success because it's such a – because they don't play in a conference, and often these teams are only coming once every – however, I mean, when was the last time Clemson played at Notre Dame? I think it was, like, in the 70s. That was a unique experience. Georgia hadn't – I don't think had ever played at Notre Dame. They'd only played it one time ever, and that was in the Sugar Bowl when Herschel Walk was there. That they knew this is a bucket list item. I'm never going to get to Notre Dame again. USC fans can go to Notre Dame every other year. You know what I mean? Like, so, you know, Michigan fans can go every other year. Why didn't Michigan over? I mean, Michigan's got a ton of fans right across the border and some here. Why did they never take over the stadium? Because it's, it's, I'm not selling my ticket to a Michigan fan at face value, right? Because Michigan fans, it's normal to them. It, they see it every year. So that's part of it too. Is, you know, will Clemson fans this time pay a lot? Yeah. Will they do the same thing in three or four years when they come to Notre Dame Stadium again? Probably not because the anomalies worn off because they couldn't come a couple years ago because of COVID. Yep. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, but here's the thing. If you have, if you're a Notre Dame fan, stop selling your tickets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a big part of it. Big part or, of it. Or sell it to other Notre Dame fans. Exactly. Right. You know, right. yeah, as best you can. Right. Yes. Uh, and, but in the end of the day, part of the thing last year since there was no energy about the season last year nobody's fired up about the season and i think people are just kind of over brian kelly i i I hope that it's a little bit different this year when clemson comes to town let's get back up to some more questions here john a1 says i think notre dame will have a very athletic offensive line in 22 which run blocking schemes fit better with an athletic versus a more powerful line Ideally, you want both, of course. Just curious when it's one versus the other. It's a great question. Uh, I mean, outside zone traditionally is the easy mm-hmm. answer there, right? Like you're moving laterally. It's a, it's a lot more about angles than it is about pure movement at the point of attack. So outside zones, one. Inside zone is an interesting one because I think you can have some, I don't want to say deficiencies in power, but you can make up for it again because you're kind of attacking two-on-one a lot of times there's a lot of combo blocks on inside zone but i'd say outside zone generally is the more athletic driven uh run scheme i would say other things buck sweep is one where you've got to have some guys can move uh Mm -hmm. i think counters one where the way that notre dame runs it you need a little bit of some athleticism 
I think teams that have the big, strong guys, they run a lot of wraps, you know, where it's just kind of one guy kind of coming around. Uh, power O is obviously one that you need to be able to move people. I mean, you, you can't be undersized and move people in power O. Like the Denver Broncos in 1998 weren't doing to the Green Bay Packers what they did if they were running power O and counter and ISO all day, right? Because they were much smaller and, and not nearly as strong, you know, just when you combine strength plus weight, they would have got moved around. What did they run a ton of in that game? Inside and outside zone. And they ran a ton of outside zone that game. And I mean, they were tossing outside zone, right? <laughs> that game, if you remember correctly. Uh, and it was the way to neutralize the size. I think that the interesting thing about this particular Notre Dame team is I do think they're going to be athletic. I don't think they're going to be incredibly athletic. I think they're going to be mm-hmm. athletic. I think this is going to be a big offensive line, though. It's not going to be a small offensive line. I mean, you know, sure. especially the right side. But I think the, the 2020, outside, they ran a ton of outside zone in 2020. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, that was a, a relatively athletic-ish offensive line, you know. Um, but, yeah, I think outside zone definitely. If you're going to run it as a pure outside zone, I think you definitely have to be athletic. If you're going to run it as almost like an off-tackle almost like a wide mid zone, I think it can be more about power. So I think, that, you know what I mean? Like Ryan, so like there's the from eye where you're attacking the inside hip of the tight end. That's more mm-hmm. of a power outside zone. If sure. you're running like a really fast swipe, you know, let's get outside and, you know, you're cutting back behind the center, but you're doing it out like, you know, where the slot lined up, that's mm-hmm. where the emphasis. So it's, it's like same with inside zone. Some yeah. inside zone schemes are really power oriented and some inside zone teams are, are built more for athleticism. That's the other aspect of it. Well, that's uh, that's why well. a lot of teams. That's why, like we talked about yesterday, that's why a lot of teams are going to duo now because right. it's a lot more of a power oriented run right. than a true inside zone is. So, right. to your point, Christopher Crosby. If Notre Dame closes out on the rest of their targets and gets Austin Novosad, can they still have a number one class if they miss on Samuel and Pemba? In your opinion, with with Austin Novosad continuing to rise in the rankings, yes, because now he's a top mm-hmm. 100 player. What was it, 247 he was top 100? Or was it on three? Eight, I can't 88 remember. and 247 had him in, the, in at like 88, 89, yeah. 88, 89. Uh, on three jumped him up to like 180 something. Yeah. And then Rivals has him at 136. Yep. So as he continues to rise, yeah, it's possible. I mean, it, you know, you're going to have, but you are going to have to close on the other guys that you are, uh, you know, looking for. Like you're going to have to get Jeremiah Love. You're going to have mm-hmm. to. You're going to have to hit home runs outside of Samuel and Pemba to have a shot. But, yes, to answer your question, I do think that it can happen with an Austin Novosad at quarterback because his ranking continues to rise. Because I think the worry after Dante Moore went off the board is, like, do you have the the quarterback name that's going to drive up the ranking too, right? And I think now that Novosad is starting to get at a higher ranking level, I think that, yes, it can happen. So let's go to Christopher Crosby. I'm sorry. We have one from Brandon Plensner. If mm-hmm. Austin Novoset ends up visiting A&M and Baylor along with Notre Dame next week, does that alter your opinion of him potentially choosing Notre Dame? I mean, I mean, my, my opinion on it, Brian, I, we haven't really talked too much about this, me and you, but I think that Notre Dame is going to be in the game. But I also thought that Austin Novoset was going to do his due diligence with other visits. Like, I didn't think it was just mm-hmm. going to be Notre Dame and then it was right. going to be a no brainer from there. I think that he was going to check out a couple other schools, you know, and. I, 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 this is not par for the course, for my opinion. I think Notre Dame is going to be in the race, but I don't think it's like a foregone conclusion that as soon as he visited Notre Dame, he was going to commit to Notre Dame. Like, I just, I don't think mm-hmm. that's true personally. Right. I don't think it, I mean, I think that here's the thing too, Brandon is he's been to Baylor and he's been to AM many mm-hmm. times. 
I actually would have been more concerned if he would have gone to Ohio State for another visit. And the reason I say that is Ohio State's still a player for him. Sure. And he's been there twice, but he hasn't been there as many times as he's been to Baylor and A&M, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas with Notre Dame in this conversation, everything's going to be new for him. So there's the thought of, you know, look, those schools are going to continue to hammer what they've been hammering to him and what's the new experience he's going to have there. Where with Notre Dame, it's all going to be new. Right. And so I think I think that's going to be kind of part of it too. Is I, it doesn't change my opinion. And Ryan, as Ryan said, I didn't I didn't think he was only visiting Notre Dame and coming in with, oh yes, I'm visiting and Notre Dame's the the pick and the leader, and I just need to confirm. I never felt that was it. I felt like Notre Dame had to really like, things have to go right, and I still think that's true. I think they got a shot at it, but that's why I'm hoping also that he doesn't visit for the day of the barbecue. I want him visiting a day where he's the only person on campus that day that you're worried about. That would be um, that would be kind of uh, the preference for me at that point in time. Christopher Crosby, Brian and Ryan, thank you for putting Devin Leary in your top five in your QB series. That uh, that kid doesn't nearly get the respect the respect he deserves. You're flat out right on that. If he was doing what he did at NC State last year at Notre Dame, mm-hmm. I mean, like put it like this: if Tyler Buckner has the season throwing the football at Notre Dame this year that Devin Leary had at NC State last year, he's a top five Heisman finalist. 35 touchdown passes, yeah. 3,400-plus yards, five picks. Because Tyler's also going to have more rushing yards. But even if he doesn't, I mean, those were great numbers. But he did it at NC State, and nobody was paying attention. Uh, You're absolutely right. He he is a – and that was – and honestly, that was a no-brainer for us. I think we both had him fourth, didn't we? Well, yeah, it's a New Jersey yeah. guy, so yeah. No so Ryan did it biased. He still got there the right way, you know, even though it's biased. But no, I've I've Look loved Devin Leary since he was in high school. You know, he's yeah. a heck. I mean, honestly, our top five was the same. Mm-hmm. The only difference was we swapped. We had differences of one and two, Bryce Young yes. versus CJ Stroud. But our three, four, and five, I believe Ryan. I'd have to go back and look the sheet. You know, but I believe they were Hooker. all the same. We had all yeah. had. We both had Hooker number three. Yep, and the difference between Hendon Hooker and Devin Leary is Hendon Hooker is, a, is is makes a lot more plays with his legs than Devin Leary does. That's the only yeah, difference between ran, the two. He ran, he ran for yeah. like he ran for over like six hundred yards as well yeah. on top of what he did passing. Right. Yeah. And Devin Leary, I think, was in the negatives in, in rushing last year, which I don't hurt. I don't knock him for. So was Bryce Young. I mean, so was C.J. Stroud. Bryce Young was at zero yards going into the season. It's just more of if the passing production is equal, and for Hendon Hooker and and Devin Leary, it was very similar. Hendon yes. threw for like 2,900 yards, 31 touchdowns, three picks. Well, he didn't take over starter until the third game. Yep. Um, you know, so, I mean, if you if you look at the per game averages passing-wise, it's very similar between him and Devin Leary. But yep. as Ryan mentioned, there's a big difference when it comes to playmaking with his legs, and that's why we have him number three. And I've always thought he was overrated. We've You and I have talked about this, Ryan. Uh, mm-hmm. he, I don't know what the heck Justin Fuente was thinking. Not not riding it. Because whenever he put him in the game, they would wait. He, they'd win. It yep. made no sense. I don't know. I, Maybe I had, he said something had, about his mother or something. I have no idea. I had so many clips of Hendon Hooker in the past when he was at Virginia Tech. I'm just like, you know, like something with, you know, a good ball placement or yeah. athleticism or whatever. And I'm just like, why are Quincy Patterson and Braxton Burmeister playing right. over him? I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to think like he's must not be going to class. He's doing sure. something. Like he's not showing up from there had to be something, but I've never heard anything about him being a character problem, but there had Same. to be something. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. Justin Fuente was a Justin Fuente was a weird guy, very weird guy. But yes, Devin Leary, 
Um, and if if people know what we're talking about, we did a, a breakdown of the top 15 quarterbacks in the country. We also had a breakout player prediction, which was Tyler Buckner for us, uh, mm-hmm. and a comeback player of the year as well, which was uh, Tanner Morgan, bounce back player uh, projected. We think Tanner Morgan, now that he's no longer has the Mike Sanford in, uh, influence, uh, I think he's going to bounce back. But then we ranked them top one through 15. It was three installments, six, uh, 11 through 15, six through 10, one through five. If you haven't seen that, check it out. I thought it was pretty good, pretty good series. And there's a lot of projection there. We're projecting into the 2022 season, and it's college football rankings only. It has nothing to do with the NFL draft. And so, uh, and and there's some some NFL draft obsessed obsess, guys that uh, NFL draft Twitter's obsessed with that are not on our list. You're not going to find Will Levis on our list. You're not going to find Anthony um, Richardson, Richardson on our list, right? Uh, Tanner McKee was on it, but not in the top 10. Because it's not about NFL draft. It's about who's going to be the better college quarterbacks in 2015. Uh, sure. We had Phil Dracovic in there, which I know is going to be an interesting conversation for some people. Uh, but it was fun. It was fun to put together. And we're going to, Ryan and I are going to talk here this weekend about doing that for other positions moving forward as we head into the season as well. Mm-hmm. John A1, when you say explosive player, does it describe a guy who is more shifty that makes guys miss or a guy with a quick burst who can outrun defenders who have advantage angles? Yes. It's both, yes. right? I mean, yeah. it's both and with some guys, but it can be it can be both. I mean, when when I say explosive player, it's really just about are you a big play guy, right? Sure. And and are can you can you like there have been guys that Dexter Williams is a great example. Dexter Williams is one of the most explosive running backs Notre Dame has had in the last 15, 20 years. He was not fast. Mm-hmm. He was explosive. He had that first burst, just a boom. I mean, if he was a four five eight, he was a four five eight from step two, where Josh Adams was a four four eight, but Josh Adams wasn't a four four eight to like step eight, right? <laughs> and and that's the difference. And then there's explosive guys like Will Fuller who were just fast out of the start, fast out of the finish. Uh, you know, it's it's a different type of thing, but it really just comes down to you have something dynamic about you. Uh, now, what I would say is I don't necessarily think a shifty guy is necessarily explosive by itself because I don't think Kyron Williams is explosive, and he was very shifty. But I never I never looked at Kyron Williams and thought explosive. You know, I just thought he was smart, tough. Smooth. Yeah, quick. Like, he could, he could do those type of things, but I never thought explosive. Chris Tyree mm-hmm. is not nearly as shifty as Kyron Williams, but he's explosive. Uh, Jardarian Price is shifty and explosive. He has a little bit of both. So it can be both. I, I, I think explosive, uh, explosiveness, you can kind of parlay it to acceleration a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So that's acceleration from a start. That's acceleration through a catch point. Like that's where explosiveness comes from for me is, is I think you can kind of, it's not one for one, but like there is something to be said of the relationship between acceleration and explosiveness. Mm-hmm. Next question from God Country Notre Dame Barbecue and Coffee. How awesome is it to cover Notre Dame football for a job? I'm a first responder, so I have a passion for my job. However, there are days that suck. Does covering Notre Dame ever feel like a job to you at all every single day? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I love what I do. I do. Mm-hmm. I'm very blessed to do something I love to do. I, Ryan has talked about this as well. You know, um, not that he didn't love teaching or have a passion for it, but, you know, just loves football and same thing here. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it's still a job. I mean, the success that we do, the work that we do still puts a roof over our head. And if we don't do a good job and we don't look at it as a business, like we can't just be up here fanboys not putting out good content because then we have to then get real jobs. Right. 
Um, but yeah, it feels like a job all the time. It really does. Um, you know, it's like, honestly, sometimes I have to remind my, and this is why I think the last two years is going to help me this year, Ryan, Mm -hmm. not being at Notre Dame games last year in a work capacity made me realize how much I had taken that for granted. Just kind of showing up every day, not looking around, not seeing the sights, just get there, park, go to the stadium, get my work done, get ready for the game, you know, Mm -hmm. and you kind Mm -hmm. of forget like, man, this is, this is a pretty cool thing that we get to do. Uh, it, cool. it really is. But for me, it feels like a job every day. I mean, I'm talking to, I'm dealing with you know, customers with complaints and, and I'm dealing with the deals I'm trying to sign, talent I'm trying to hire, where we're going to take our thing in the future, like all these different things. I'm working on a magazine, I'm doing this. I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you how it goes. You know, I'm getting up in the morning. I'm working until two, three o'clock at night. It's a job. It's a job. Uh, but it's one I love to do and it makes it easier to spend work those long hours. It's not something like it, you know, when my shift is over, I just turn it off. You know, it's a, it's kind of a, it's kind of a 24, seven, 365 job. It, it really is. It, it really yeah. is. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I mean, if I, if I just add real quickly to it, I guess I am very blessed to be doing what I am doing and I will never take that for granted. Um, at least in the near future. Cause I still, I still have people that I, don't really talk too much or always like, Oh, what are you, what are you doing now? And I'm like, Oh, I just, you know, made a transition of a career. And they're like, what, that's a job. And I'm like, yep, that's <laughs> it's a job. I promise I work hard. So <laughs> it is a job, but um, to Brian's point, I mean, there's a lot of things behind the scenes that you, obviously it's a grind. It really is, but mm-hmm. it's uh, there's nothing I would rather do personally. So yeah. it's uh, it's been a blessing for me. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. John A1, if head coach assembles an elite assistant coaching staff, that will will that eliminate or mask game day deficiencies the head coach may have? Uh, yes. 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 100 percent yes. Look at Kirby Smart last year. Yeah. I, I think what and I think one thing that you can give credit the most to Brian Kelly was is I remember Brian, like the big thing was like, I, I need to change some things. I need to get a better coaching staff around me. I need to take away play calling responsibilities. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like there's just there is like some stuff where it's just kind of like there is a you need to understand what's going to make you successful. And I mean, I think you see that all the time with having guys that you trust around mm-hmm. you can right. take away from those deficiencies for sure. And I think that was the difference between Lou Holtz's early coaching staffs and his later coaching staffs. I think mm-hmm. that was a big part of it. I think I think that is something that that hurt Clemson last year. I don't think Dabo has I think that's killed David Shaw. Uh, yes. is I think David Shaw is a great game day coach, but he has surrounded himself with bad coaching staff. So the opposite of what you're saying, John, has happened. He doesn't have an, a, a great coaching staff. So it it uh, brings down his game day excellence, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, but at the end of the day, a head coach on game day, that's the least important day of the week for me for head coach, if I'm being honest. the To me – like I've heard a lot of people kind of talk about like Marcus Freeman, concerned about Marcus Freeman, you know, and, and I'm the last thing I'm concerned about with Marcus Freeman is game day. I mean, as a defensive coordinator, he had to be far more involved on a snap by snap by snap basis than he, than he would have been as a head coach when he's just making the tough decisions, but you plan for that stuff. You have a chart when we're going for two, when we're going for a fourth down, like you've planned for all that stuff, you know, what's the point in the game where we're, where we got to go for a fourth down or what's the scenarios where, Hey, we're at the 41 and it's the fourth and four. No, that's not the time. Hey, we're at the 41 and it's fourth and one. Yeah. We've prepared for this or 
you know, once we get inside the 35, anything less than, you know, fourth and three, we're going for it. That stuff has all been prepared for. Your offensive coordinator knows that. Your defensive coordinator knows that. They know we got to be ready for sudden change. The offensive coordinator knows what play calls we're going with. And I think that's what makes James Franklin such a bad game day coach is because he does too much sometimes and, mm-hmm. and does things where you're like, yeah, that's probably not how you guys planned it going into the week, you know? And uh, I'm more concerned about Marcus Freeman putting together the coaching staff, which he's done. You know, what's the, what is he doing to build the character of the team? What's the way he's building? You know, how's he going to structure fall camp to make sure that they're not being uh, too bear- overbearing on the players' bodies? but then also to where they're not not working them hard enough during fall camp. I mean, those are the big challenges that a head coach has to, to have. I'm more concerned about the days because as a coordinator, you never want to not practice. As a head coach, sometimes you got to say, hey, guys, we've ridden them pretty hard and it's been really hot. We're going to take today as a walkthrough day and and we're going to or, or we're going to keep them inside. I mean, those are all things that a head coach has to really get a good feel for where his team is. And he's got to get a good pulse for his team that a coordinator doesn't have to think about. Those are the things I'm more concerned about with a guy that's never been a head coach. I'm not worried about what he's going to do on fourth down or if he's, is he going to go call heads or tails? Is he going to receive or defer? I don't care about those things as much. They'll have a plan for that. It's the other things to me, Ryan, that are far more important. Uh, to being a head coach. I mean, Monday to Friday is far more important for a head coach than Saturday, in my opinion. And that's what separates the great coaches from the not great coaches, in my opinion. Thoughts on that? No, I agree completely. We talked a little bit about this one before we started. And I I think that the preparation is the biggest thing for me, right? Like we're seeing, Mm -hmm. we see coaches that, because I think we amplify everything a little bit, Brian, because, I mean, we were talking about it, right? It's like that fourth and three decision, right, during a game. Like, how often does that actually happen, if we're being completely Mm -hmm. honest with you, right? Like, there's some games where it doesn't happen at all, if we're being completely Mm -hmm. transparent about it. So, I think if you are prepared adequately for it, though, the preparation side, those decisions get a lot easier, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think those decisions are the hardest when you're not ready for it, right? And I think that that's your job as a coach is you need to prepare your team and your staff for those situations that's why you do that's why i i mean i always love the practices where everything is a situation right like oh here we go we're we're in the you know it's it's fourth and three two minutes left and and this is the the situation we need to be in we need to get a first down here to keep the drive going like all those situations i think matter and i think that's the preparation side of everything Mm -hmm. yep good good stuff john a1 says are rpos designed to stress linebackers or safeties are they flexible to stress any component of the opposition's defense uh yes on the first part it just depends on the alignment sometimes you're looking to stress a safety sometimes you're looking to stress a linebacker it depends on the alignment of the defense it also depends on what kind of rpo you're throwing uh the the the, so like if i'm throwing like a, a more vertical quick post oriented rpo because i'm reading that boundary safety who has a tendency to really get aggressive against run fakes then i'm gonna then i'm then i'm going after the safety if it's more of like the the perimeter quick out quick hitch those type of things bubble screen i'm more i'm focusing on the over the alley defender right or the or the flat defender sometimes that's a linebacker sometimes that's a safety sometimes it's a nickel it just Mm -hmm. depends uh, on the particular play, sometimes you're going to you're going to focus on that inside linebacker. It just depends on the particular call that's being made. Uh, and to your point, John, there is some flexibility to how you run an RPO. You can choose who you want to read or not. And 
And, you know, depending on what defense you're doing, you can't get too crazy with it because then you kind of confuse your quarterbacks and your receivers. But, yeah, there's a lot of flexibility to, to that. Now, can you stress any component of the opposition's defense? I mean, there, there are certain aspects where I'd say probably no. Like, I don't think an RPO is going to influence the nose guard a whole lot, you know, because it's just, you know what I mean? Like, it just, you know, it just you're not pulling because the nose guard beat you. You know what I mean? Like, you know, but there are some things you can do like off of a three technique, but those are more designed on sort of the triple option versions of it. Those are going to be more pull give and then get outside, then throw off of it. So, I mean, to a degree, I guess if you want to get real into the weeds, Ryan, you could probably say you can kind of stress any component of the defense. I mean, because you could get into some of the triple option versions of the RPOs where you would read off of an interior guy. I can't think of one I've ever seen off of a nose, but I've seen people yeah. do stuff off of a three technique, you know, where they'll just kind of, they'll kind of let him go and then go away from him. I don't see it a lot, you know, but I, I, I just started, I, I just started thinking of a nose guard on like the second level yeah. playing linebacker. <laughs> just get it hey, pulled out hey. of the box. <laughs> so would a similar example be, I don't know, fourth quarter of a game against hypothetically, let's say Michigan state. I don't know, pick a year, 2016, and it's third and six or third and eight, fourth quarter, and you decide, you know what would be a really smart call here? Let's drop our 6'5", 315-pound nose guard into coverage. Mm. Sounds like a great idea. That actually happened, Ryan. Do you know who the defensive coordinator was on that? I say sarcastically because I know you know the answer, Brian Van Gorder. Yes. Uh, yeah. That was uh yeah you you get some weird stuff. Who was that defense tackle? Was that Jerron Jones? Jerron Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Jerron Jones. Who is now who is now a uh, all yeah. USFL offensive tackle? There you go. So, Good for him. Good yeah, for him. For real. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.